This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Delighted to have the opportunity to be with you this morning. Uh, if you would, while you're turning your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52 and 53, um, just to bring you up to speed, Isaiah is a big book, and so I'll bring you up to speed uh, a little bit more with what's going on up until this point to give you some context. One of the major themes that runs through the book of Isaiah is this, it is that we have a holy covenant-keeping God, that He is faithful. That's wonderful news. The problem is, we're the opposite. That's the message of Isaiah, at least the beginning part of the message of Isaiah, the book of judgment leading up to uh, roughly uh, chapter 37, tells of the holiness of God and His passion for His people, but His people's passion for themselves. And those two things are a problem, but what we're going to look at today is God meets them in the cross. The cross is where God reconciles that problem. That He retains His pursuit for His holiness, that He loves His glory, but He also has a passion for the lost people who reject Him. Surprisingly, graciously. And so that is met in the cross of Christ. I want us to look at that today also, just as a matter of uh, another bookend that I want us to be aware of, is the Isaiah 40 talks about that uh, God's Word is like uh, unlike the grass that withers and the flower that fades, but His Word remains forever. And then he reiterates that same point in Isaiah 55, that his word does not go out and return void or empty. And right in the middle of that, and the reason that his word doesn't return void or empty is because what Christ has done, or what is foreshadowed what Christ will do in Isaiah 52 and 53. There is a substance... There is a reality behind the promises of God. They're not empty words and therefore they don't return void. There is a Savior historically, eternally given so that God would bring His people, His defiant, rebellious people back to Himself. And so I want to focus on the nature of the cross today and reiterate um, the cross to us. And I also, as we're looking at this, want us to, and I'll reiterate this in a minute, but that we're not just looking at the cross as, as something in abstract, but the way that it impacts our lives. It's not just something that, oh yeah, the cross happened. Jesus died. We all believe that. But what does that mean? What's that look like in our lives? Not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. 
And when we're struggling, when we're interacting with our non-Christian friends, hopefully we have them. And we're engaging them with the cross of Christ, which is so central and unique to Christianity. So, I'm going to read, if you'll allow me to, Isaiah 52 and 53. They're short chapters, but this is God's Word, and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together afterwards. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourselves from the dust and arise. And be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, You were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, Your people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here? Declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day of my, my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here am I. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who speaks to Zion, Your God reigns. The voice of Your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing, You waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared His holy arm. For before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the Lord of, the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. And his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that uh, we should look upon him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces, 
He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich man in his death, although he had not done, he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his uh, knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet... He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Thus far, God's Word. May He add His blessing to it. Let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In our society, the cross has become, sadly, a meaningless symbol. The cross is pretty much elevated to the status of a four-leaf clover or something you might see on a palm readers sign out front. The cross is a lucky charm. Uh, Sure, it adorns many people's necks, and maybe some of you have cross things on or in your house, and Lord willing, as you trust and love Jesus, those mean something beyond a symbol. But today, so many people who wear the cross or see the cross or are passed by the church and see the cross, look at it merely as an empty symbol. They like it, they appreciate it, they have some connection with it, but they've lost the significance, at least according to what the Bible, that the cross means. The cross, and what I want us to look at today, is what God thinks 
about the cross. You see, we can come up with all kinds of theories, and there are plenty of... I went to the University of Edinburgh, and uh, I think that I knew maybe two Christian professors in the Divinity School. And I'm at Emory University right now, and uh, it is no great friend to biblical Christianity either. Uh, Thankfully, in God's providence and grace, they welcome me there, and I appreciate the fact that you support our ministry and love us and care for us, and I'm delighted to serve you this morning. But um, there are plenty of folks in those institutions, but also around where we live, that want to tear down the cross. They may study it, they may look at it, But they're trying to debunk the cross, to find the historical Jesus, something that's a little bit more tame, a God that we can handle. You know, a God that brings us comfort, a God that can give us peace, a God we can run to in the times of tragedy, but not a God that I can sell all for who is my gain. And sadly, I think it's not only those folks that tear down the cross and make it less than what God wants us to understand it to be. But oftentimes, Christians do the same thing. We do the same thing by the way that we live. Or the way that we even perceive the cross of Christ. We talk about the cross of Christ as though it was just a place of a wish. That Jesus laid down His life and He said, you know, I hope they respond. And I think God has a very different picture of what the cross or the effect of the cross is there. Surely the cross is God's declaration. John 3.16, hopefully we all know that verse if you're a believer in here. That God loved and therefore He gave His Son. And therefore the cross is a beautiful picture of God's love. But it's not just that. It's not just God's grand I love you statement. Or a statement that says, I love you this much that I'm willing to die for you. It is a place where God's willingness to love us becomes His work and His will to love us. It is a place that is effective to do what God set out to do by it. Namely, to save His people from their sins. And so I want us to consider again the cross of Christ that... And ask yourselves, why again was the cross necessary? How does an event that happened 2,000 years ago in a land that most of us haven't been to affect Old Peachtree, the communities in which we live, or Atlanta where I live? What's the significance? How do we communicate that? What does it mean in my, daily, in, in, in my daily life and the way that I interact with others, the way that I love my wife or my children, the way that I love my non-Christian neighbors or those who are a part of the body of Christ? And so I want us to not only think about the cross as God defines it as a historical fact, the objective, if I can say that, but I also want to bring it down to the personal And what it looks like in your life. And I pray that we would be able to say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, that we would look at the cross and so identify with what Jesus said there, 
That we would be able to say with him, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It is by faith that I live and trust in the Son of God. What does it mean for us to be crucified with Christ? We must understand first what Christ did on that cross. I want to look at this first. And John touched on this a little bit even when he was talking this morning in Sunday school about missions and about suffering. Is the fact that the cross is not a plan B. The cross of Christ, according to Isaiah and clearly unfolded throughout the rest of Scripture, the cross is God's plan. It's not an accident. It's not an unfortunate event in the sense that God really didn't want His Son to die. It's unfortunate, certainly, that it was unjust from man's point of view. But it is God's plan to redeem His people. If we just looked at Isaiah 53, verses 1-5, to we might get a little bit different picture if we just saw that. Look at those verses. It talks here about how Christ was reviled. He was uh, despised and rejected. He didn't, he didn't uh, look like anything. Uh, he wasn't the most beautiful man. Uh, Jim Caviezel, I'm not sure, was the appropriate person to play Christ in the Passion. Good-looking guy. Uh, you know, Jesus uh, was, was no, nothing to look at, the Bible says. He was despised by men and rejected. And if we just stop there, we might get this picture of this was a very unfortunate event in the history of the world. This great religious leader, this man of compassion, this zealot, was crucified unjustly. But as we go on down that passage, and we look at verse 10, for example, we see that declaration that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. By the way, if we look at places like John 10, we understand that when we say the Lord, we, we're talking Trinitarian here. We're not talking about the Father subjugating the Son and uh, condemning the Son, and the Son doesn't want any part of it. Jesus says He willingly lays down His life for us. We need to make sure we understand that. But how do we reconcile these two things? How do we understand this unfortunate, unjust event of the cross and God's will in it? I think it's quite simply explained in Acts 2. Acts 2, verse 22 to 24 says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested, uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst. As yourselves know, this Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Isaiah 53, verse 10. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless, unjust men. God raised Him up, losing the pains of death because it is not possible for Him to be held by it. So we see... God, in His Word, declaring these things go together. Now, what I want us to understand when we approach that 
is that there's mystery in the cross. You know, we're very uncomfortable, I think, with mystery in the Bible. I know for a fact that as a young Christian in the faith, and I became a Christian later in high school, and I was excited about being a Christian, and pretty much I wanted to be the answer man. I wanted somebody to be able to come to me and have, boom, here's the answer to everything. Just carry on, you know, a big theology book and be like, oh yeah, well that's an easy answer, here it is right here. And the fact that God's ways are not our ways, and God's thoughts are not always our thoughts, there is mystery. Now mystery doesn't mean a leap into the unintelligible abyss of stupidity. It means that God is God and we are not. And so when we look at the cross, when we look at the suffering that Christ endured, and we say, why? That we have to believe in faith that God had a purpose in the death of the cross as He declares. And that He discloses some of that purpose, but we can't understand exactly how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility go there. And we're constantly, as Calvinists, I think, trying to expunge the mystery out of the cross. And we need to retain that. And we need to glorify God by what is going on in the mystery of the cross. And revel in that. But we understand that according to Paul in Romans 8.28, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that all things work together for good for those who believe and trust God. And that that is true for Jesus as well. And Jesus, we need to... I think when we go through, and John was talking about suffering, and we're talking about the motivation for suffering, and man, that's just hard. I don't want to suffer. I know you guys didn't come here to suffer this morning. But it's true. And we can pick up something from Jesus in that, because Jesus came, and throughout, especially in John's Gospel... He talks constantly about the fact that He came to do the will of Him who sent Him and to accomplish and finish His work, right? John 4, and then John 6, when He's in that great and awesome passage about gathering His people to Himself, He says, I'm doing the will of My Father. He sent Me to gather My sheep. And then we see on the cross, Jesus' last words, what were they? It is Finished. What does that mean? Was Jesus going, I'm finished. I'm out of here. These people are terrible. They haven't gotten it yet. I've done so many great things among them and they haven't cared to pay attention to me. I'm done. No, He wasn't saying that. He was saying, the work that I set out to do Is accomplished in the cross. You see, it's effective to finish the work that God set out to do in it. And what is that work? I think it's symbolized by the the words that the angels gave to Joseph when he promised Jesus was coming. He said, you're going to have a son, and you know what I want you to name him? Jesus. What was the description of Jesus' name? He will save His people from their sins. So Jesus had this work to do to save His people from their sins. And the cross says, I've done all I can do. 
I can't do any more. You've got to pick up your boots and pull them up and make the most of it. That's not what he said. He said, it's finished. I've accomplished my work. I've saved my people from their sins. I've done all that I need to do to accomplish the eternal work of God to bring my people back to myself. We need to remember that the cross is not only the plan of God, but it's effective to do what God set up to do. And surely there is this event that God purposed before the foundation of the world and that He enacts on the great drama of the cross and in Jesus' life living up to the cross and then throughout history. But there's a connection there because God purposed it, He accomplished it, and now He is applying the work of Jesus to your life. How are you saved, Christian? When you're preaching the Gospel to your non-friends and you're sharing the love of Christ in the cross... Hopefully you're not preaching that you're saved because of your goodness, certainly. Or even because of your faith, you are saved because of the righteousness of Christ. He accomplished the work of His Father. And we trust in Him in that work. And it is faith that unites us to Christ, but it is Christ who saves us. So, if the cross is the plan of God, then what happens in the cross? We need to understand. And if you go back to verses 1 to 3 in, verse, in uh, chapter 53, we see this despised and rejected man of sorrows. And again, if you stopped right there, you'd probably think, you know what, this, this poor guy, he died. And maybe he died for his own sins. Maybe he had those secret sins that, that no one knew about and he was rejected. Of course, we look at the cross and the immediate thing that we see is he is cursed, right? Cursed is he who lays on the tree. But then we see those following three verses in verses 4 through 6 of 53. When we look to the cross and we see the curse that Jesus was, it wasn't for himself. It was for our grief. He bore our grief and our sorrows. He carried them. He was wounded not for His transgressions, but for our transgressions. He was crushed because I'm an idolater. Because I don't love God the way that I'm supposed to. It's because I'm unfaithful uh, to love and to serve my family the way that I should. That's why Jesus died. And that needs to sink in deeply. It doesn't need to just be a catchphrase we throw out. Yeah, Jesus died for me. What does that mean? I'm not sure. That we actually meditate on the cross and we understand what it means and the implications it has on the way that we live. And that when it says Jesus bore our iniquities and our transgressions, that that washes over us every day. And that that gives us the motivation to die, as John was calling us to this morning. To die, not only die in the sense that God may call you to the mission field in Peru or Zimbabwe or Rwanda or the middle of Asia somewhere. But with that next door neighbor, you just don't like very much. The person that you 
in this church have a disagreement with, and you're standing on your rights that they did something wrong to you. That you need to allow the fact that Jesus has paid for it all to wash over you, to free you to love those people that are unlovable. Because that's the effect of the Gospel in our lives. That's the effect of the cross, not as a 2,000 year old event, which it certainly was, which we can never lose sight of, but that it impacts me now. Right now. Why don't people believe that? And it seems obvious to me. Seems like good news to me. It's because when we look at the cross, standing right beside it is saying, you can't do it. You are a sinner. You are a failure. The reason that Jesus had to hang on that tree and to be a curse for you is because you couldn't do it in your own strength. You see, the Pharisees didn't like that message very much. They wanted to be good Christians, to look good, to come to church, to do all the religious steps or non-steps, But see, the cross had not sunk down in their hearts enough to penetrate their pride. And Christians, we must allow uh, the cross to take its effect. We must be overwhelmed by the cross sometimes in the fact that you are such a failure in the Christian life. That God's grace is sufficient for you. And that we need to translate that into the way we live before other people. And Jesus says that this is not simply something for Old Peachtree Church or the churches in America. He says that many will be accounted, verses 11 of chapter 53, that many will be accounted righteous because of the substitute Jesus, who wasn't in it for the popularity contest, but to actually redeem and save His people effectively. And He says again in verse 15 of chapter 52, that He will by this vicarious, this substitutionary death, sprinkle many nations. This is... Not The message of the cross is not as the postmodern world would like us to believe a thing for private religion. That's not the way God thought about the cross, at least. The cross is God's declaration that He is enacting a new order where sin can actually be dealt with and pushed away, expiated, propitiated, as we read in Romans 3. That it can be dealt with. That's the message your non-Christian friends need to hear. Not, you had not been in church for a while. You should really go. Alan's a great preacher. We have a very loving community. Those all might be true. 
But they need to see and believe and understand by the way you live your life that the cross is real. And that it is transformative. That it is moving you away from sin and towards Christ. And so, there's this great exchange going on in the cross. That the cross is God's purpose to redeem, to effectively save His people. And there's this exchange of of our sins where our sorrows and griefs and and transgressions and the, the iniquities we bear were laid upon Him and that we become His righteous ones. So if that's the cross, what does it mean for you and me? I think there's some hints. Turn back over to 52. We'll close with these. I think first there's the hint that according to verse 8 of 52, when he makes this great announcement of the redemption that is coming, this purchasing back of the people of God, he says, your watchmen, when they see this occurring, they lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy at the return of the Lord. And again in verse 9, bring forth together in singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, you sinful people, rejoice in what I'm about to announce to you. And so the first thing, the effect of the cross should have on our lives, as we allow it to sink deeply and penetrate into our lives, is that we have a reverent euphoria that we look at the cross and we say we will boast in it alone. And boasting is not just saying, well, we'll, we'll, we'll take it and we'll, we'll um, only have the cross. Surely it means that. But also being thrilled and excited. And as we sing these great hymns that talk about the cross of Christ that we've already sung. And that we have, uh, we have all the gain because of His righteousness. And that love is so amazing, so divine, that it demands my soul, my life, my all. It also, I think, brings us from dust to glory, from humiliation to exaltation. He says that in the verse 1 of 52. He says, awake, awake! You need to hear this. Put on your beautiful garments. We're reminded throughout the New Testament and the Old that we are called for some reason, by God's grace, unexplainable, the beautiful, prized bride of Christ. I went to a wedding yesterday. It was glorious to see the bride walk down in white, everybody smiling, everybody's crying. Because they're excited to see this union coming together. Why is that so absent from the way that we look at Jesus? Have we lost our first love? Do we treasure the fact that He looks at us and even in our sin, and even though we're constantly running back to sin, that He seeks us out and transforms our lives? Praise the Lord for that. From dust to glory. And also we have a freedom that comes where we were once in bondage. That there is release. He says, shake off 
the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. And then he goes through Egypt and Assyria. Egypt, the old historical foe that they always look back to to picture the redemption that God has given by His grace. Now Assyria, the new oppressor that is threatening the people of God. And he says, one day I will come. You will know my name even though right now you despise me. You will know it is the Lord. Here am I. And then he breaks the bonds and he looses us. I was reading uh, a book about Harriet Tubman this week. And she was... A tremendous woman, I encourage you to read about her. Um, she was a slave in the 1820s in Maryland. And uh, she was always, this, as a little girl, longing for freedom, as any slave should and would. But she was particularly concerned about it where others might have succumbed to the fact that they had been enslaved and that was their lot in life and so be it. She longed for freedom. And it took her some 25 years to finally escape. And she runs in the night and she follows the North Star, which they called, the, that would lead them to the drinking ground, the place of refreshment in the North. And she followed the North Star and she, was, and she escaped to Philadelphia and she found her freedom. And she didn't stay there. She tasted freedom. And she saw that it was so good, it was only a year later that she went back. And she went back again, and again, and again, and again, risking her life to set others free because she had tasted and seen how good freedom was. Brothers and sisters, that should be our testimony. The testimony that the cross gives us. That we see God's amazing plan to draw His people out of bondage into freedom. And that we taste and see and we allow that, that the reality of the cross and the fact that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No more bondage to sin that He has broken. The penalty that leads us to hell and the dominion that leads us back to the pit of sin over and over again, that He has broken those bonds, and that we have tasted it. And because of that, we don't build up walls, we don't build a fortress out of the church. We build a bridge back into the communities to see others taste and see that God is good also. May He be praised as we look at the cross the way He looks at it. The place of freedom. Amen. Father, I thank You so much for the message of Isaiah. The message that speaks freedom to, freedom to our souls. The message that we can meditate on day and night and need to. That we might indeed love Christ. That because of our love for Christ, our Bridegroom, the one who we look for and expect and long for, that He would motivate us and our passion for Him would motivate us for those who do not know You yet. Bless us and keep us as we look to the cross. 
and as we apply the message of the cross to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.